back to a brand new episode of Growing Up Gay with your boy Vaughn. And your boy Malik, how y'all doing today? We hope you all are doing well. We hope Pride uh, was wonderful for you. Um, it might be over for some, but it's just beginning for others. Um, but Malik, what have you been? How have you been? Not what have you been, Lord. <laughs> how have I've you been, been <laughs> in the past week? <laughs> Yeah, the past week I've been really, I've been well. I put my notice in at work. I gave them 30-day notice. Um, Official? Officially. Officially, I've given my notice at work. Um, It's it's a really scary thing, not having a job lined up behind me. Uh, But I'm really confident and I'm really ready for the challenge of being an entrepreneur and... um, you know, really venturing into this full-time yoga thing and, and also having more time to really commit to the show um, and having more time to commit to the things that really drive my soul, media and and, and communications and marketing and, and and things like that. So I'm and excited yoga. about... Yeah, and yoga, yeah. So, so I'm excited about um, having more time to really develop the things that are passionate to me and, and, and my babies. And so I did that... Um, yesterday monday um and you know my boss took it really well um and so you know we'll see what happens but other than that yoga's going well god has been so good to me with with allowing me to to do to do something that doesn't feel like work you know right. um so so I'm, I'm really grateful for that and um you know dating xyz you know how it goes how have you been this past week um <laughs> I'm going to be very transparent with y'all. This is our second time recording this episode. <laughs> we were so, we recorded. Girl, I wasn't going to say nothing. I, I, I was not going to say nothing. I wasn't either, but like it adds to the week and the month that I've had. <sighs> we recorded a full hour and 40, like six minutes of a great, great, great like episode. And then literally so we got off the, <laughs> the mic and we were like, you know, our little con, you know, conversing as always. And all I know is that shit said only seven seconds. And I said, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, fuck. And Malik was like, what? And I was like, wait. Fuck. <laughs> and he was he like, nigga, what? And I was like, only seven seconds. Se- I, y'all, June has been a clusterfuck amongst clusterfucks. Like, in every way possible. Personally, professionally, entrepreneurially is that a word (laughs) it is now in every way you can think of june has fucked me so hard no lube and i just feel like whether it been pride month they could at least use some lube like it was just so much but you know what it's over now stepping into a new month with new blessings and i've learned a lot and i kind of feel like it was for the betterment of my overall self so, you know, I've been very stressed, but I'm also very blessed. So, you know, it is what it is. We're going to keep it moving. And, um, yeah, I don't know what I said on the last episode in regard to how my week was. <laughs> but for now, eh, it's all right. But we, we, we keeping it moving. We keeping it pushing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, <laughs> keeping it moving, keeping it pushing, that takes us right into the wind down. You guys, if you don't know what the wind down is, I, the wind down, Lord have mercy, the get it together. <laughs> the, get, the get it together is a part of the show where Vaughn and I kind of sound off, sound off on things that are health health-based, fitness-based, mental, emotional, spiritual tips, things that we're going through in our lives that we feel like, hey, if we're experiencing this, I'm sure other people are too. Um, and my 
get it together today is, is going to be a, around self-preservation and dating. Um, so often we silence our voice because we think that we want people to like us. We want people to receive us in a way, you know, and we are oftentimes, you know, curating ourselves and our desires for other people for them to like us, for them to want to accept us. Um, And this is at the very, you know, infancy of dating. At the very beginning, we start to alter ourselves. And that's a very destructive, it's a very negative thing to to do. Um, And it is because of the fact that you're not being truthful. You're not being yourself. And so most recently, I was, um, I, I I met a guy who I liked or whatever. And I realized that, I was afraid to tell him what I wanted. I was afraid to be forthcoming and be truthful about what my real desire was, a relationship, right? And so the mere fact that some, that for whatever reason, he made me uncomfortable or um, maybe I just didn't have the um, the comfortability to be forthcoming, especially if, if you're someone that's not used to speaking your desires and saying what you want, it could be hard for you to do that. Right. But what I realized is dating this guy, um, I was uncomfortable and fearful of telling him what I wanted out of fear of rejection, out of fear of that he didn't want what I want. And, mm. you know, there were a lot of mixed signals. So I decided to get the courage to ask him, hey, are you into me? What do you want? Do you desire the same thing that I want? I found out that he didn't want the same thing I, that I wanted. And I, and I was able to sense that. And I guess t- today my message is, if you feel something in your heart, then more than likely it's true. Absolutely. Um, don't discount your emotions. Don't discount the way you feel about things because at the end of the day, you're feeling that way for a reason. And so you mm. need to speak on it. You, you you need to talk about it. And never let the the thought of, well, if I do this, I'll get this. Never let that stop you from being truthful and being your authentic self. Um, I almost did that this time, but I stopped. I said, no, Malik, think about this. You know, there's something that you, there's something that you're not saying. There's something that has not been said. And that simply was asking the question, what are we doing here? Do you see something with me? Do you want something with me? And I got the answer and the answer was no, I don't, I don't want that from you. And Mm. now I'm able to move on and move forward with clarity. Now I'm able to make a decision on if I want to continue to, to communicate with someone who has made a decision that they don't want me romantically, but they still want to have a relationship with me, you know? Um, and what I know in my heart is that I'm not willing to, to, I'm not willing to sacrifice what I want just for what someone else wants. Just, just to just have to, someone. Just to make them comfortable. Just right. to say I have someone. At the end of the day, always choose yourself. And so my Get It Together this week is about choosing yourself and it's about speaking up for yourself and doing what you need to do that's going to get you to the next level, that's going to make you happy, and that's going to give you peace. Um, And and, and having peace is not going to be uh, doing things that continue to stifle you and continue to keep you in a loop. So my Get It Together, again, is to pick yourself and tell people how you feel. You know, that's a really good one. 
ironically, I had a dream about <laughs> an ex of mine last night, and I woke up. Well, ex situationship, I should say, because it's not wasn't a, like a full blown relationship, although it was like a lengthy period. Um, and I woke up and I was like, I went to his Instagram, which I haven't done for. I, I was so disconnected from him that I forgot his Instagram name. I had to like go through old texts to find it. And I was sitting there looking at him and I was like, I should just hit him up, right? Like, granted, he doesn't live in New York. Um, I was like, I should hit him up and like, because I was like, I was, why did, why would, like, I wasn't thinking about him. I don't know why he was in my dream. But then I was thinking and I was like, he, we don't want any of the same things out of life. Like, he's a very simple, simple young man that wants, like, simplicity and I want a lot more than that and it was that was he was the first person that I ever had to like disconnect myself from like cut off if you will and it, that was the conversation that was the point where we were at the same point where I was like what do you want like out of this situation because it had been like six months <laughs> seven months and there was like no title no anything and everything was just still up in the air and it was just, I had to accept the fact that we wanted separate things. And I feel like it's so popular in the queer community, especially with gay men, um, to just, like, be in these flings and situationships that it's it's pretty normalized. Like, if you ask someone it when's the last normalized. time... It is normalized. Absolutely. Like, if you ask someone when's the last time they had, like, a boyfriend or when's the last time they were in a relationship, they're like, oh, like, I've been single for, like, four or five years. And yeah, I'm like, it, it, it's like this ridiculous amount like, of time. Wait, you didn't, I didn't see any with like 15 niggas. <laughs> None of them were here. That was one of the, the biggest adjustments for me when like, like I started getting into the whole dating world. Like, cause I'm not a situationship person. I'm a, I'm definitely a relationship person. And so many people are, are comfortable and, well, I don't even know if they're comfortable, but I feel like it's so normalized in our community that, that people just go with it. They have these yeah. like two or three month relationships where there's so, <laughs> like so much put into like those two or three months and then they just disconnect like yeah pretty much interesting it's interesting um my get it together for this week is uh start working on it now uh wherever you whatever you want to do wherever you want to be whether that's starting a business starting a company a clothing line a t-shirt line a podcast whatever it is that you want to do start working on it now um as someone that is a master procrastinator one of the things that I've had to like absolutely accept um, over this past month, especially, is that like results and like getting doing things properly and things turning out the way they do, especially if you're particular. I'm someone that's extremely anal and extremely particular about a lot of different things. Um, it works well <laughs> in professional careers, not so much in personal, but like being a procrastinator and extremely anal picky about things doesn't go like head to head. Like it, it doesn't pan out. And there's a lot of things that I want to do, a lot of things that I want to accomplish. Um, and I know where I, where I want to see myself when, when next spring comes around, um, when next, even this fall, I know what I want to be doing and how I like, I, w- I know where I want to be in life. And if I don't start working on those things now, I'm not going to get there because they're not something you can accomplish in a week or in two weeks it's going to take time it's going to have to be meticulous it's going to have to be well thought out well planned out well curated and if i wait until november or if i wait until october or you know what i mean it's, it's just not going to happen yeah so, 
you have to plan for this shit. You know, you can't just up and say, I'm going to do it and then you think it's going to happen. Right. Like, it doesn't happen overnight. It won't happen in a week. And especially if I want it to be how I want it to be and at, you know, at the level of quality that I want to deliver it. Um, I have to start working on that now. So that's my get it together for this week. Start working on it. Whatever your it is, start working on it now. Um, so with that being said, we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back with Grown Up Gay. Hey, you guys, it's Malik. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show so far. Remember to tell your friends about what we're doing here. This is a community-based show, and the only way we're going to grow is with your help. So be sure to like, subscribe, and share our show with all of your friends and your family. Now back to the episode. So this week's Grown Up Gay, and if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, the Grown Up Gay segment is the main portion of our show. It's where we discuss topics within the queer community um, or topics that are, are affecting our community at large and how we respond to those topics as gay black men. Um, for this week, our Grown Up Gay is titled uh, Black Queer, I'm sorry, it's titled Say It Loud, Black Queer and Proud. Um, and I thought with Pride uh, ending... Well, excuse me, Pride Month ending, Pride in General is 365. Um, but with Pride Month. <laughs> Say that Month, again. <laughs> listen. Because a lot of motherfuckers think, oh, it's just 30 days. No, bitch, it's 365. Right. Are you crazy? Right. Just because them corporate bitches are doing it for a month, we're, we're living this shit. So we're, we're proud 365. Um, but with, with that month wrapping up and seeing all the. Living in New York during Pride is, is an experience, especially the end, the last like few days of Pride, because there is so many rainbow flags, so many colors, um, and it's it's beautiful and it's it's really it makes you proud and it makes you happy, especially because there's so many people that you don't even know whether they're part of the community or whether they're just you know allies, but it's just good to see that many people uplift us and support us. Um, but I want to talk about the intersection that is queerness and blackness, because that is, I feel like, a whole separate <laughs> conversation and a whole separate situation that honestly could be a five part series breaking it all the way down. Um, so one of the first things that I wanted to touch on, because I feel like queerness and black blackness are two things that society teaches people to hate, um, whether it's, you know, the the media and not media not now i'm talking about media of yesteryear kind of um pushing you know european beauty standards or it is you know the hate we hear for queer people growing up or we heard i should say for queer people growing up um so one of the first questions that i wanted to ask you malik was have you ever hated your blackness and if so what caused it you know growing up um Growing up in Decatur, being really young and a child, I did hate my blackness. I thought it was too dark. Um, I remember early on being called things like, you know, um, an African booty extract, scratcher, forgive me, um, and, and, and just other names that would, I guess, call out my dark skin. Right. You know. As if dark skinned people are the... Right, you know, right, and yeah, because you're not even directly African. I'm not, I'm not, but 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 that's what you know. 
ignorant school age kids would call me. Um, and so at that point, I began to hate my skin complexion. I wanted to be lighter. I wanted to be, um, you know, t- to have more of a European look. And so I was upset. I was, you know, I was sad that that I didn't have European features and and the, and that I didn't have lighter skin. Um, and so I did hate it. And I think the stem of it was just that I didn't have parents telling me that I was beautiful. And mm. then I had kids at school reinforcing the fact that I was black, that I was black and ugly um, and that I wasn't desirable. And so I learned then that darker skin was not in. Um, a, a lot of the guys at my school that were sought after, they were fair skin. I remember the, I remember one boy in particular, I don't know his name, but he was black and Puerto Rican. He had... That was always the mix. <laughs> he had... I mean, that was the mix. He had the most beautiful hair, the most beautiful skin, and everyone just loved him. And I thought to myself, wow, I wish I looked like that. And, and I was in the second grade when, when, when I thought of this. Wow. You know, I, I wanted to look just like that boy because everyone loved him. The teachers, the girls, the, every, the students... And so I, I, I begin to love, hate myself at a very young age. I can, I, I can absolutely relate. Um, thankfully for me, I never, <laughs> I always say I didn't have issues like with other people making fun of my skin complexion. I mean, my friends and I would joke around and like, you know, we would make jokes, like I would make fun of them for being like white <laughs> and they would make jokes about me being, you know, like they would call me midnight. Um, and stuff like that, but I never, I don't think I ever took on any of that as, as self-hate. For me, a lot of my issues with my complexion came from family, ironically. Um, my mom's side of the family is fair-skinned, um, and my dad's side of the family actually isn't dark, (laughs) dark either. Um, like, my father is like a caramel brown skin, his father is the same complexion, his mother is actually fair-skinned. But his uh, his grandmother, my great grandmother, is very, very, very dark. Um, and my mom's side of the family, her father is 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 dark. So my brother and I, I have three siblings. I'm sorry, I have two siblings, two older brothers. Um, one of them is is like caramel light skinned, and then my brother and I are both dark skinned. And it's funny, we used to always argue about who was darker. <laughs> like, oh no, you're darker than I am. No, I'm dark because. If you there's a picture of us that I always laugh at when I see it. It's um, right when we had moved to um, to Fort Lauderdale, and Lauderdale. <laughs> yes, um, and we we were about like out in a beach, and we're both we're, we're, my mother used to dress us alike, <laughs> so we were wearing like a matching Adidas uh, tracks blue Adidas tracksuits, and like matching Jordans, and we were so, we were so dark. <laughs> We are literally, we are literally like the color of tar in the picture because it was like the end of summer in 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 uh, Fort Lauderdale. Like, of course we're gonna be dark because we're dark seen already. So summer, um, but yeah, my my issues with um, my complexion came from from family, and I, it was actually I remember like what started to trigger because I mean I always internalized things that I heard pe- people say like prior to this incident, like Lil Wayne saying things like. Uh, oh, that bitch is bad, bad, but she'd be better if she was red. Like, mm. although that wasn't targeted towards me, 
and it's funny. I took on a lot of the a lot of the the issues that the black community had with darker skinned women or has with darker. Well, let me say had because I no longer internalize it, but had with darker skinned women. Um, that was you heard in songs or you would hear people joke about. I internalized a lot of that when I was younger, even though I wasn't a woman. It still to me meant like, because to me what I saw was like, what's not desirable in this woman is not the woman herself. It's her complexion, right? So there was a lot of things, like I said, jokes and stuff that I would internalize, but it wasn't until this incident that like really did it for me, that really triggered a lot of my issues with my complexion. And it was a summer. I was in Toronto. I've spent literally about 10 summers um, in Toronto. And I was going, going, I was with my favorite aunt. She had picked me up from the airport. We were driving home and, and it was her, her daughter, my cousin and um, myself. So we were driving and we were talking about genetics, genetics, because I've always been fascinated with genetics. And I think coming from a family that has an array of uh, complexions, eye colors, hair textures, all that kind of stuff. It was always, I think it was natural for me to be curious as to why like certain people looked certain ways. Um, and wondering just, you know, just about genetics in general, because like I said, you would think like, oh, you look like your parents. And in my case, I don't really look like my parents. I look nothing like my mother. And I slightly resemble my father, but like for them, like people would see me and my mother and never think that, like my mom would come to school for me and people would not think that's my mom. Just because like I said, we look nothing alike. She's short. I'm very tall. Well, I'm not very tall. I'm tall. <laughs> um, completely different complexions, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So we were driving home. And my, like I said, we were discussing genetics and we were talking about how like my eldest brother looks like a mixture of his dad and our mom and that my middle brother is like the perfect mixture because he looks like my mom's side of the family, but his complexion comes from my dad, our dad's side of the family because that's what we've been told forever that we look, our complexion comes from our great grandmother. Um, And then (laughs) we're talking about my cousin and how she is like, a perfect mixture of her parents because she's like a mixture of her dad and her mom's complexion. Um, again, her dad is a dark, well, brownish, dark brown, and her mom is light skin, so she's like a, a golden brown. And <laughs> how her her little brother, my other cousin, is you know all his mom, but he has his father's build, right? And then we got to discussing me, and my my aunt was like, you know, unfortunately, you look just like your dad's side of the family, bitch, and. I remember being like, unfortunately, <laughs> like, <laughs> the fuck is that right. supposed to mean? Like, what is, what is, you know what I mean? Like, where is, the, what is the unfortunate, what is unfortunate about looking like my dad's side of the family? And I remember that whole summer, because I was like 13 years old, that whole summer I kept thinking to myself, so I, it's unfortunate that I look like, yeah. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Um, and that, that for me triggered a lot of my issues with, with my darkness because, it just there were a lot of not even my darkness. I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and say my blackness because I have, like the the nose, like my nose. I, I have a, a ethnic nose, right? My most of my mom's side of the family doesn't have a big nose. My dad doesn't even have my nose. So I get again, I get that from my great grandmother, and it was funny because like when I would go when I w- would go see my dad's side of the family, they would always be like, oh you look just like your grandmother, and they would even joke that like you know don't let him grow hair because. You know, if he grows hair, he's going to look just like it. Anyway, so that's where that started. So, Malik, what was the process of how you learned to love your blackness? I think I learned to love my blackness um, once I was 
a lot older and, and I kind of came into like myself and I saw a lot more imagery on TV and film of, of beautiful black people and, and, and melanin and um, and, and I, I just learned about self-acceptance. I think I learned that from um, having mentors and people telling me finally that, you know what, you are beautiful. And, and, and I also learned that as I got older and I joined like more social groups at school, um, that people are just hateful, you know. Mm-hmm. And miserable. <laughs> and miserable, yeah. And so I started to learn a lot, a lot more about life and the human experience and how people are conditioned to just be mean sometimes. And so um, I began to chalk up a lot of the hate that I was getting from just people just hating on me, honestly. Um, when I got to my sophomore year of high school, I joined the STEP team. And I was able to get a lot of confidence from being around other males who were from different social groups at the same school than, than I was. Maybe more popular social groups, maybe less popular, but I was and, 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 and I was able to really like learn from these guys. And I I learned that a lot of it was about that I wasn't comfortable in myself. And uh, and uh, and oftentimes when you're not confident in yourself, people can smell that on you. That's true. And and they lean into it and they and they and they will literally like bitch they'll be like a hawk, you know, a, a vulture. They they zero in on it and they attack. Um and so I learned that people a lot of times were going in on me because I wasn't confident in myself because I wasn't sure about myself. And so once I was able to get to a point where I was like, you know what? Let me own this. Let me own this chocolate skin. Let me own this this softer tone in my voice or this higher pitched voice that I have. Like, I can't help how I sound. I can't help how my skin looks. But what I can do is say that I feel beautiful on the inside, you know. Um, and so after I learned to, like, really own, I think, my chocolate skin and, and, and own this body, everyone else did, too. Mm. Absolutely. I think especially as you get older and you step into to the dating world, some people can smell that that insecurity and will act on it. Um, yeah. For, for me, loving my blackness overall um, came from a lot of things. Um, part of it was just, like you said, getting older and seeing that a lot of people do desire darker skinned people. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the times when, you know, desirable dark skin is, or dark skinned people are a thing it's usually like the women that are like super curvaceous super bodied and they're like all oiled all down and you see them on instagram and typical they're like the, right yeah. they're on the african print bikinis and like they're gorgeous women but like the majority of the time that's the only version of acceptable yeah, that we see dark, of dark, chocolate women right they're, and, they're they're hypersexualized and yeah and mm-hmm. same thing with with darker skinned men um the majority of the time that that's those men are preferred it's in like these mandingo wild you know he's gonna rip my clothes off and da-da-da. like it, in that sense give me that like, big black dick boy right, right. all and of it's that like, yeah it's like no just for me especially with tumblr was a great place for me to see like regular everyday dark-skinned people of all shapes and sizes that just love themselves and the support that they were getting from fellow dark-skinned people and fellow people of, I mean, people of all complexions, but especially dark-skinned people, that was really pivotal for me. And 
that I started to see the beauty in having darker skin. And now I'm to the point where I'm like, yo, I wish I was darker. Like, <laughs> I, I, especially, I've had the pleasure of working with Sudanese, a lot of uh, Sudanese women. And without a doubt, the most stunning people. Like, they have amazing skin. Their complexion is just so clear. And it's, oh, like, dreamy. Dreamy, dreamy, yeah. dreamy. Um, and, and funny enough, with my nose, and this is super random, something that really um, got me into, like, liking my nose was Rihanna. Because <laughs> Rihanna, although she may be a fair-skinned woman, she has a very black nose. That is a black, you can't deny that nose at all. And <laughs> the fact that she's never got work done to it, the fact that she, like, even points it out in, like, pictures and stuff. And I just, that to me, she her being pr- proud of it, and this is, like I said, I know that's super random, but that's one thing that's always been like, you know what? If she can love the shit out of her her, her nigger nose, <laughs> her her negro nose, yeah, <laughs> then then I'm gonna love my negro nose too. So like, you better love are, that negro nose. Those, those are the two things that <laughs> got me into it. But as much as we're taught to hate blackness, we're also t- uh, taught to hate queerness. So did you struggle with that growing up, Malik? You know what's interesting is that before I knew that I was. A dark-skinned boy, I knew that I was gay. I knew that I was different. Um, and who, and who really informed me of that was my aunt, my my grandmother's mother. My, my sorry, my grandmother's sister. So my my great aunt. Um, I went to Savannah one summer. Um, I, this was I think. I don't remember what year, but I went to Savannah. Um, and she began to tell me these stories about you know queer people and people in jail and trans people and, 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 and just different things. And so she really invoked a fear in me of a fear of one, uh, contracting HIV because she talked about how, um, in jail that there, that, that there were people that, that, that were, that were having unprotected sex with each other and that they were, you know, spreading these diseases, X, Y, Z. So I, I began to get really fearful about that. And on top of that, I begin. I, I begin to feel weird about who I knew that I was on the inside, but I, I didn't have the language and and or the confidence to really talk about what I desired, right. um, and what I was attracted to being a middle a middle schooler, you know, um, and so at a really young age, I learned about n- not being okay with what I felt, not being okay with who I wanted to be, and not being okay with who I desired it from, and 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 speaking that because I, you know, heard from adults that if you do this, if you have gay sex, you end up with this, you end up with AIDS, a gay right. disease, like you know, it was inevitable. Yeah, it was inevitable. And so, you know, looking back, um, being someone that is HIV positive, it's like, none of that is true. You know, none of those things are factual, but, um, I, I believe that, you know, I, 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 I did hate my queerness because of the fact that I thought it would, it, it would be something that would land me in jail and, or <laughs> that like it was um, a death sentence or something. Yeah. It was a death sentence. And so I, I did hate it. What about you? Um, <laughs> you know, funny enough for me, I've always been like a bit of a cynical asshole <laughs> and I've always been like, I remember when I, I started realizing I was gay. I was about five or six years old. Maybe I would say around six. Around six years old is when like, I realized there's something different about me. I knew that I had feminine. Of course, I didn't have the language for it. 
but I knew that I had, I was I couldn't naturally tap into feminine energy. Things that quote unquote boys don't do, I was doing. Whether it was like, I, I'll never forget time <laughs> when we first moved to Fort Lauderdale. Well, we lived in Lauderdale for a year first and then we moved to Fort Lauderdale. So when we lived in Fort Lauderdale, when we were moving in, I remember we were like almost done moving. We had just a few boxes left in the garage and we were doing our final cleanup. And I remember I was listening to music on a Walkman um, or a CD player, excuse me. And I grabbed a shirt and I put the shirt on my head as if it was hair. And I'm 95% <laughs> sure I was listening to Britney Spears. <laughs> Your and favorite artist at that, that time. Was my favorite at that time. <laughs> and I, I remember putting the shirt on my head and whipping my hair around. And like everyone in the garage was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Stop. And I remember looking around like, girl, what's wrong with what? what like i'm i'm dancing like why y'all tripping (laughs) and other people could recognize this but and then that they they made me aware of it because it wasn't something that i was aware of until then and then i realized okay so whatever this thing is these feminine you know traits these well you know femininity is something that's a construct etc etc i know um whatever those things were I could tap in, I tapped into them naturally and I realized me tapping into them caused a reaction that wasn't good. And then as I got older and I realized like, okay, I'm gay. It was things like going to the movie theaters with my brother because he worked at the movie theaters at the time. So we saw all the movies for free. And I'll never forget, I was going to see Dreamgirls and I went to my brother and I was like, I want to get some nachos. And he, you know, of course I was young, so I didn't have any money. So he was like, okay, he gave me the money and he was like, go to that boy over there. Cause that was the only person working, um, the food station. Mm-hmm. And he grabbed me as I was like running away. He's like, but don't touch his hand. Oh. And I was like, what? And he was like, don't touch his hand. When you give him the money, just put it on the table and slide it to him. And I was oh. like, why? And he was like, just do what I said. Don't touch his hand. So I was like, all right. So I go over there now. This is a white guy. And he's like, hey, um, what would you like? You know, are you okay? You know, how's everything? What would you, what would you like to order? And I was like, oh, I get it. This guy's gay. Oh, wow. So my brother was like, in my brother's head, like touching the gay person. It's like you could catch it. You could catch the gay. It would like <laughs> jump on you. <laughs> yeah, like no, it can affect been, you. <laughs> right. That shit was been in my system a long time. <laughs> like, wow. There was no contracting the gay. And I remember like thinking to myself, <laughs> I got a, I got a case of the gay. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> let me, let me go to CVS real quick and get something to treat this gay. Like it was no, there was nothing to do like that, 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 you know, bar was already crossed. So, and like I said, I was a bit of a cynical, cynical asshole. Cause I, in my head, I was always taught that like your steps are ordered. God ordered your steps and you know, y- y- everything that's happening is God's will. So in my head, I was like, so y'all got a problem with God, what God already did, because he did this. Like, he knows. I know, yeah. and he knows. Y'all might not know, but, like, no, he's we fully aware. Like, yeah. y'all might want to get over it, because, oh, so, like, you want to tell me it's my problem when he did this? Like, he <laughs> he installed the gay. I didn't do it. Like, I didn't even ask to be here. Like, y'all, y'all had the sex. Y'all gave birth to me. He installed, he instilled this, this gay in me. So I never really, like, hated my my sexual orientation i there was a i struggled with well i should say this i never struggled with accepting it because i was like it's there so i can't pray it away i tried that that didn't work but y'all said god ordered my steps so that means he knew what he was doing when he made me 
Um, and then, like, I never struggled with accepting it. Um, as I got a little older, there was a, a point in high school where I had some struggles with with it because it wasn't, I knew I had to confine it. And that was where the struggle was. I couldn't do, I couldn't say certain things. I couldn't do certain things. Of course, I couldn't crush on boys. I couldn't express how I really felt. Um, and there was some struggles there. And I, at times it made me wish like, you know, oh, I just wish I was straight. So this shit would be, you know, easier just to live and exist. Um, but outside of that, like I never, I never hated it. Thankfully, what, what made you start loving your, your queerness, your gayness? I started loving it when, when I begin to connect with other people just like me. Um, I remember this was the summer of my freshman year of college. I had, had graduated. My good friend, one of my best friends, Dewante, um, we joined like a, a family, if you will. Um, it wasn't a house, but was it wasn't a house say. because <laughs> we weren't like walking balls, but it was a gay family. Um, and my mother was this guy named Pooh. Um, and he just, he was the first person that I felt like I felt like I belonged, you know? I I finally felt like I belonged, finally. And it's crazy to say that, but I I I met these guys um in the club. I was like dancing. Um like like Majorette Sour J said, he dancing in the club and, and and I connected with this guy named Karma, and then Karma connected me with this guy named Pooh who used to dance with karma and then me and my friend Duante became car um became Pooh's child. Right. Um and and I just was able to spend my whole summer with a bunch of gay queer men of color, black, and I was able to learn so much about myself through them. I was able to learn so much about just life and and and, and struggle because I'm coming from a two parent household in the suburbs and now I'm out with these guys who are out living on their own in apartments and you know they're relatively some of them are struggling some of them are having to do all kind of things and so I just begin to learn that wow I'm I'm no different you know there's nothing wrong with me I you know what I'm experiencing is okay. And and I, I only learned that from being around people just like me and, and, and being able to have that camaraderie and that fellowship to get to know those guys. Mm. So that's how I start, that that's how I start to to learn to love myself. When did you start to love I think I think the more that I saw us, the more I realized like, yo, we're dope as fuck. Like and it started with with um, Noah's Ark. That was the first time I felt like, wow, okay, like we exist in like the for real for real world. Like we're grown up. Um, the more I saw us on social, like uh, when I started getting you know into the world of social media and following you know queer people that were older than I was and seeing that they were living and the, the, these lives and they were happy and they were dating and that they had friends and they had community and they had uni, like they had all these things. It made me like, it was like a weight off of my chest because when you're growing up, especially as a queer child, like there's things you don't partake in like dating. Like you don't, at least I didn't, you didn't, you don't really see like 12, you like 12 year old crushes 
you know what I mean? Like going to the movies, like that stuff when you're like from like 12 to 16, 17, 18, like we don't really get that same experience. So it was kind of scary thinking like, what would adulthood look like? Would it always be this thing that I'm, con- you know, concealing? Even coming out to my parents was something that like I, I feared because from what I knew, that lifestyle meant rejection, especially as a Jamaican. Like that lifestyle meant rejection. It, it could possibly mean harm. It, it could mean a, a, a multitude of things. And I wasn't sure what that, you know, would be like. But once I got to see our community living and thriving, it made it a lot easier for me to accept myself. And also, much like you said, being around us, finding family within us, even like you, Malik, building our friendship. And even as I as I go out now and I see whenever I see someone that's really confident, like some especially a femme, uh, like a, a really femme, a feminine gay guy or like a trans woman or someone that's that's clockable by society standards someone that's that disrupts culture and disrupts society every single day that they live and seeing that those people are fearless and they're confident and they live life regardless that seeing a lot of that made me made me love us even more and and just be proud of proud of all the things that we are um because we are multifaceted much like the black experience that Ironically for me is something that um, I've had a lot of, I had a lot of struggles with growing up Um, because growing up in South Florida, you, you tend to be spoiled as a non-American. If, if your first place of residence is like a South Florida or a New York, you, or certain parts of New York, I should say, especially the city, you can tend to be spoiled because you don't realize that there's pockets in America where your blackness or where blackness is one thing. And that was moving to Atlanta for me because in South Florida, all the black people I knew were first or second generation something. You either were directly born and partially raised on an island or in an, or in another country or something. Like your parents were from somewhere or you were from somewhere. And I always jokingly tell people that like I didn't meet my first African-American until I was, you know, like 13. <laughs> my brother had a girlfriend her name was Shaniqua. I know. <laughs> um, and I remember like being so fascinated because like their Thanksgiving was so different and like they're just their culture. Although we had a lot of similarities, the music they listened to, like everything, like their oldies and goodies wasn't necessarily our oldies and goodies. Like it was more of a Barris Hammond thing in my house. I mean, we love Luther, but it was more of a Barris Hammond as opposed to like a... Um, Frankie Beverly and Mays or something. You know what I mean? Like it was a different, there were those differences. But when I moved to Atlanta, I just knew moving to Atlanta was going to be like the most amazing thing ever because it was like about to be black as fuck. And for me, black as fuck meant everything. It meant Caribbean. It meant African. It meant South American. It meant all these different things. And then when I moved to Atlanta, it was like, huh? (laughs) Like, no, nah, Playboy. We are black. We are African American, and especially because this was two thousand and seven. So it's not Atlanta currently that is, you know, so built up, and there are a multitude of cultures and people. It's it wasn't that, especially the area that I I moved to. It was literally there were two two elementary schools, two middle schools, two high schools, and prior to me moving there, a, a new person, a quote unquote new person, hadn't moved there in about four years. So it was a huge culture shock for me. And that was the first time I kind of realized, 
I mean, I knew blackness came in a multitude of colors and a multitude of, of cultures and, and, and looks, but it was for the, for me the first time I realized that other people didn't already know that. Yeah. I think the first time that I experienced, um, that like my blackness was more than just being with my mom and my dad and my family was when I went to a Publix, um, around like, around like eight or nine o'clock at night with my dad, um, indicator. And I remember we were checking out and I, 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 for some reason I wanted to walk out before he did. So I walked out to the store, I was walking to the car and there was a white woman there, um, that was walking ahead of me. Like she checked out before I decided to leave my dad at the register and she was walking to her car and she looked back at me and she had this, like this, this fear in her eyes of my presence, of my existence. And she shuffled to her car much faster than she initially was. And I remember she got in her car and she looked back at me to see if I still was there. And she jumped in her car and she just, and she locked the doors. And I just, I remember, I remember feeling like, wow, just at my presence, just as I'm existing, um, she is fearful of me. She is terrified of me so much so that she, Shuffle to her car faster, and it's like you're in a you're in a predominantly black neighborhood. You're you're in a predominantly black store, um, and the fact that she did that, that she recorded in a way that it, it made it, it. I was able to see that you made people her uncomfortable. Fe- fe- yeah, I like at at that age of middle school, I, I realized that my existence made white people uncomfortable, and. Um, I, I realized then that it was so much deeper than just being with my mom and dad. It, it was so much deeper than just being with my family that there was a whole another spectrum of life out there that would alter the way that I saw myself, that would alter the way that I breathed and moved around the world. Um, right. Yeah, that's when I realized it. Absolutely. And it, it's pretty interesting. I think the black experience overall, because... Much like you, the the fear you you invoked in that woman, I think when I moved to Atlanta, that was some of the fear that I, I like admittedly got from like other people because I, I that was the first time I realized that other black people wouldn't be comfortable with my blackness, and of course I didn't have language for it then. I didn't know it was xenophobia, but it was even things like I remember I'll never forget when I was in. Uh, ninth grade I had a um, a teacher she was my chemistry teacher and we were we were having a discussion in class and she mentioned something and she was like well you know us as African Americans and I remember saying to her she said well you know all of us African Americans and I remember being like well you know I'm not African American and for literally about eight minutes we went back and forth about whether I was African American or not and and how well you know you, you, someone in your family is, and I was like, no, my grandparents, my great grandparents. I was like, look, I've heard there's some Cuban in there. I've heard there's some, you know, Irish in there. I've heard a lot of things, but we've none of us are American. And I remember I got in trouble for that. I got the, she she pulled me to the side after class and told me she was to, if I do something like that again in her class, if I disrespect her like that again in her class, she was taking me to the principal's office. And I was like, why? Like, all I'm doing is standing, like, is, is like letting you know that not all black people are African-American. Some of us are other. And 
that to me, other people being on, I'll never forget this also. My mother and I were, uh, I wear glasses. Well, mostly contacts, but I also wear glasses. So when I was like 14, we had just moved to Atlanta, um, like I said, like the year before, and we were at a lens crafters um, getting glasses or whatever. And this lens crafters was in a Walmart in the hood <laughs> um, in Union City. <laughs> and <laughs> Southside, South there was this black lady um, talking about Jamaican food, and she was such oh, she was going off. Oh, Jamaican food is so nasty, and they all oh have gosh. bad attitudes. And I don't know why they come to our country and, and want to start businesses, but then don't you know? Da da da. She was just going off about Jamaican food and it being so nasty and this this and that, and we don't even really want to eat that shit. And they should be grateful we are da da da. And she turned to my mom and, and like her, it was her and this other lady. They were kind of going back and forth. Um, and then she turns to my mother, looking for you know further confirmation because that lady had you know coinc- like agreed with her or whatever. And she looked to my mom for the same you know validation. And my mother and I were sitting across the room from her at the time. <laughs> and I remember she said something like, "Girl, you ever had to deal with them?" And I'll never forget my mother. She, like, put her book down, and she looked at her, and she goes, you're talking to one. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and just so Bitch. you know, you might think, so, uh, you know, our food is disgusting, but just know, say you, and your your dirty stinking ways, that's disgusting. And mm. I remember the lady being, like, shook. I probably like, shook too, bitch. Shook. <laughs> and I remember saying... <laughs> and I remember being, I remember sitting there like, yo, this lady was, like, I was just so mind blown. And then, like, that experience for me was further confirmed, like, when Rihanna came out, because there were so many ignorant comments about her, like, oh, she needs to go back to her, her hut. And, yeah. you know, they would make jokes about coconuts and just all these ignorant things. Even when she started, you know, uh, playing in, in, um, Kadoonment for, for Carib- uh, Carnival or whatever, there were so many comments about like, oh, why is she wearing, you know, a bra and panties in the street and grind? Oh, she a hoe. You know, oh, that's, see, that's them Caribbean. Oh, and that was another one that I always hated. Oh, you know how those Caribbean women are. When she went through, you know, the ordeal with um, that boy, that was the thing that everyone said. Like, I heard that so much um, from African-American people, men and women. Oh, well, you know how those Caribbean women are. You know, she, she, she does, you know, she deserves that. She, you know, how those Caribbean women are. And I would be like, how are those fucking Caribbean? You don't even know Caribbean women. Like, what are you talking about? You've lived in Atlanta your whole life. What do you know about Caribbean women? You've never, you've never gone anywhere, but maybe Alabama. What do you know about Caribbean women? <laughs> they know what someone told them. That's what they know. And even Wendy Williams used to push that rhetoric. And I remember, like I said, even like carnival and stuff, there there were so many ignorant comments and it made me realize, wow, not everyone is as cultured as I am. Not everyone is as blessed to have grown up in an area where you literally saw all types of blackness celebrated and got to experience all those different types of blackness. A lot of people just weren't familiar. And that was so, so eye-opening and so, so mind-blowing for me. So, yeah. Yeah. I think what's really interesting about that is that you're right. A lot of black people in America are not familiar with other black experiences besides the African-American experience. And um, I think it's unfortunate, but I do think it is intentional with the way that 
um, our upbringing is. Like, we, it's kind of really fucked up to think that a lot of African-Americans think that the world kind of stops and ends with us. Um, Absolutely. That, that the American black experience is the main one, is the only one that has value. And I think it, it's really a missed opportunity to go deeper and really learn and, and really learn about the rich experience that is of black people um, and not just African-Americans. And I remember, you know, Beyonce, when she did Freakum Dress, um, seeing Jante in the video with her um, was just like, whoa, it was mind-blowing for me. That was 2007, and I was in ninth grade, and I was like, wow, look at this man, this strong man, fearless man in these heels with Beyonce. And I'm like, wow, if Beyonce is having him in her video getting her ready, dressing her, (laughs) that means that this is some cool shit. That means that this this is... something that I need to be a part of, you know. That means right. that I'm okay. If she's having this dark skin, and Jante is chocolate, baby. He and is. he's an amazing performer. And so I felt so liberated. I felt so so loved seeing my queen um, celebrate another queen in, in her video and have him like highlighted in that way. And, and when I saw that, I was like, wow. Like, this is this is it for me. You know, yeah. I was able to really see myself and, and, and feel a lot more comfortable in my skin from seeing him. Absolutely. I think that's why representation is so important because it, it allows people to see that they aren't the only ones and not even mm-hmm. that it allows people to see that like whatever they are is okay. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why it's so important for, for our culture. It was funny because Tyler Perry he gave a really, really, really empowering speech at the BET Awards about ownership and how, you know, we have to put each other forward and we have to put ourselves, you know, in the, we have to own things and then put our people on and put ourselves in the, in the mainstream. Um, and I think that's so true because representation for black people is already limited, but especially as a queer black person, we were only shown in, in little pieces like i'll never forget peaches on girlfriends <laughs> i remember being yeah. like okay so peaches i'm gay but i'm not that gay like whatever that yeah. gay is i'm not that i'm Love not that there. gay Love it or but i'm not or that. homeboy <laughs> from uh from 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 baby boy right men, yes. men, men on film in the living right. color right miss lawrence and Derek j from housewives of atlanta right it was always like that was the only form of us and it was like i said it was it was good to see those because it's like, okay, so we do exist in like real, real life, but it was also very limiting. Cause it was like, but that's not me. And that's why for me, like I think show even podcasts, podcasts are, are great because you get to hear so many voices. And that's why for me, I, I personally mostly listen to a podcast hosted um, or curated by, by queer people, especially queer black people, because that is who I am. I'm a queer black person. Um, more importantly, I'm a queer black immigrant, you know, of Caribbean descent, you know, and, and that's what I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see more of, of that representation. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that in the coming years, we'll get TV shows, we'll get, we'll get movies that show blackness because I feel like we're, we're doing a way better job of expanding on what blackness looks like, what blackness feels oh, like, absolutely. what blackness absolutely. sounds like. 
Um, yeah. Thanks to people like Issa Rae. Thanks, uh, thanks to... Um, Oh my God, Tyler Perry, Tyler you know, Perry, we, um, you know Lee Daniels, Lena, Lena Waithe, Lena Oprah, Waithe. Lena, Lena Waithe. Yes. There are a million black people that are doing their thing when it comes to film and media, right? And I just I I can't wait to see more inclusion, um, more love, more acceptance, and and more learning and more knowledge and more and more more culture, more of the culture all around, all around. How do you think, uh, you know, being a black gay man has altered the man you are today? I think it's defined the man that I am today uh, without question. I think my and I always say this, the, the, the thing about the thing that makes queerness so powerful is that we're not limited. I feel like we're not because at the end of the day, in my personal opinion, all people have feminine and masculine energy. The only difference is society has taught men to believe that you can't tap into feminine energy. Um, and it's taught women to, to believe that you can't tap into whatever you know masculine energy is. You have to only be feminine. And for men, you have to only be masculine. And anything in, in life is about balance. And I think the beauty of queer people is that we, we ebb and flow effortlessly into masculinity and femininity. Like whether it be dancing, whether it be performing, whether it be how you walk, how you talk, how you feel. And I think most importantly, how you feel. Um, I think a lot of the feminine energy allows us to be more compassionate. I think it allows us to be more thoughtful because hell, we're always fighting for people that are hardly ever fighting for us. Um, And we continue to do so. And even when, you know, y'all continue to try and push us out and when y'all are continuously murdering black trans women, we're still the first ones to say, uh-uh-uh, something ain't right. That ain't right. Whatever that is over there that y'all are doing to that person ain't right. And I think because I've, especially now that I've, you know, been out of the closet and I've started to, to fully accept all, and, and not even accept, but be exposed to all the different types of queerness and all the different types, um, or sides, I should say, not types, but all the different sides of, of queerness, it's made me a better a better man because lord knows if i was hetero i would probably be like just another you know i don't know just another another nigga just out here reckless and and not worried or thinking of you know the people around me and, and how my actions could affect them for the better and choosing to do better to positively affect the people around me so what would you say how would you say it's a, a altered or affected the man that you are today? I think being black and queer has taught me that first thing first, blackness is queerness because black people were othered. We're, it's in our DNA. We're born being different. We're born being ostracized. We're, we're born into a society that is hateful against us, right? And so me realizing that blackness is queerness, just in uh, a different form that may not be so homo or that may not be trans um but understanding that a black experience is one that is different a black experience is one that is going to um sometimes leave you on the outside looking in right. and um exactly what you said ten- tenacity being tenacious i learned that i have to fight 10 times harder to get somewhere um and it's just really allowed me to be free allowed me to understand that i can pick i choose it's my destiny that uh there is no roadmap for this 
Mm-hmm. There are there's so many of our straight counterparts and allies that that have been given roadmaps to how to live, to how to thrive, to how to survive. Absolutely. And there is none of that when you are a gay black man or um, a gay trans man or whatever. There there is none of that. There is no one telling us and 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 helping us get get through it and to navigate these treacherous waters and so what i learned is that you have to fail 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 and learn from your mistakes and Mm -hmm. learn how to be better for the next time learn how that you can share this knowledge and to make it easier for the next person because i know that there are so many amazing men that reached back for me as i was growing up and so i want to be able to continue to do that and so what being queer and black has taught me is that it's not all about you and that you have to consistently give back and teach others so that you can make it easier for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because unfortunately for us, a lot of the previous generation was wiped out um, either because a lot of them didn't come out of the closet and a lot of them are still living in the closet um, or they did fall victim to AIDS. So there is a literally a chunk of, of, the queer black community that just went missing and not went missing, but they, you know, they, they're no longer with us. And it's funny because I have an older, um, gay guy, gay black man that I work with. He's one of my coordinators and we have the best conversations, whether we're talking shit or he's just sharing stories to me about like what it was like being, you know, young and gay in the eighties. And, you know, he was born in the early seventies. So he got to, he got to to experience so much and he tells me stories about how he's tried everything <laughs> how he's done everything like he's telling me stories about like dating Trey back in the 90s <laughs> like we've had so many hilarious um but also very informative conversations and i think much like you said you know the the best thing we can do is continue to give back absolutely yeah yeah so with that being said um we're gonna go ahead and take a quick little break and we'll be right back with you. Hey, y'all. Hope you're enjoying the episode thus far. If you don't already, please follow myself and Malik on our personal social medias. You can follow me on Instagram at Vonagram or on Twitter at underscore Vaughn. And you can follow Malik on Instagram at Yo Malik and on Twitter at Yo Malik. Now let's get into the next topic. All right, so it's time for the wind down. If this is your first time listening to the show, uh, the wind down is our kind of celebrity social media um, based portion of the show where we discuss, you know, things that aren't so heavy or things that aren't so, you know, topic, a uh, topical, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Not so and serious. The first th- right. And the first thing that I want to touch on is Pose. Pose has been phenomenal this season. Oh, Absolutely, so without a doubt, phenomenal. This, you know, I, I, I mentioned how last week how I've been, I, I need them to, to give me Electra Abundance. Um, <laughs> or shit, at this point, Electra, uh, what's what's her new name now? Electra uh, Wintour. Yes, yes. I need them to give me elect, Electra Wintour, but like the real. And this past episode was just that. It was, we finally got to see the wall come down. We finally got to see the facade, the performance, the the extra kind of take a break and i feel like the episode in general took a break from the usual melee and it just showed them as people as as family as people who you know we might we go to the ball and we beef 
Monday through Friday. But that Saturday, I was there for you because I, I love you. And it was. Yeah. Uh, this season is just so phenomenal. So phenomenal. It's so refreshing. It's so refreshing. I was so happy to see them pay homage to Dorian Corey. If you if you don't know who Dorian Corey is, go watch Paris is Burning. Dorian Corey um, narrated comes most. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Things. Shade comes from reading. Reading came first. That's his famous line. So I was so happy to see them highlight Dorian Corey. Um, Dorian Corey famously passed away, and when he died, when was forgive me, when she died, they found a mummified body in her closet. And 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 the rumor is that this was a man who was abusive to her, and she had to kill him in order to protect herself and to save herself. So I think they did a great job at just showing the human experience of how you deal with things the best way you can with whatever tools you have and I just love the community aspect how they all came together to say you know what sister I got your back this not gonna go down like this and that that Latina that character I need more Baby, that, that woman she who, was who was pumping everybody up, she was pumping yes, it. She was she funny. She was hilarious. She was yeah. hilarious. Uh, super, super funny. Um, mm-hmm. And Angel, um, is that his name on the show? I always forget his name on the show. Um, Lil, Lil Poppy? Lil Poppy, I'm sorry. Lil Poppy. Lil, yeah, Poppy. Lil Poppy. Who I love. Listen, he did that. This episode yeah, he also, did. he did that. That's all I wanted to say real quick. He he, he told that. Angel ass, I'm a prize too. Listen, because that's it. I mean, I will say, I'm going to give it to him because that whole one day I'm going to make you realize, I, I don't got time for all that shit. <laughs> oh, nigga, please. You, nigga, if you don't see it now, fuck you. Somebody else will, boo. I'm out. Somebody else will. <laughs> fuck you. I'm not going to say I'm not going to ass. Moving on. Right, I in the program. <laughs> right. Um... But yeah, Pose, phenomenal. Keep it up. Can't wait to see what the rest of the season brings. And congratulations on season three being already you know, picked up. Already. Already. Yes. Um, someone that's not in having such a great moment right now is Taylor Swift. Um, apparently, her, the mat, you know, Taylor's masters have been bought by Scooter Braun. If you don't know who Scooter Braun is, he is. Um, the manager of Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, um, and, you know, the late Kanye West, as well as uh, <laughs> Tori Kelly. So he's a quite the busy guy. He's quite um, in demand. And it looks like he's taken his wealth from the Biebs and co and purchased Big Machine Records, um, which is uh, Taylor Swift's record label um, or her earlier previous record label. I'm not sure if she's still signed there. Um, but Big Machine actually owned the sh- the rights to Taylor's masters. Now Taylor is does write a lot of her own music, so she does own her publishing. However, the masters is owned by Scooter. Taylor took to I believe her website, um, and sent out this lengthy letter, basically saying, you know, what was me. I was young and dumb, signed away my masters, and now this person that has been bullying me you know, for years, you know, between Kanye West and things that Justin Bieber had posted now is, you know, now owns my masters and they were sold to him by somebody that I thought I could trust, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this was a night of white mess. Like Taylor's letter sparked Bieber to respond. It sparked, um, 
Scooter's wife to to respond and <laughs> Scooter's wife y'all go read her response because it was so funny to me because it was like it was very nice nasty because it was like oh Taylor we love you and support you bitch you tried it because this didn't really happen and this is actually what happened and I see how you're trying to manipulate the situation for the better of you but we still love you and we support you it was very white woman of her um <laughs> and even ironically even ta- the the gentleman that Taylor said she thought she could trust um, released a statement that basically said, hey, um, this acquisition didn't happen overnight. You were aware your lawyer was there. Your father was also well aware and was there. Um, and you were actually present because they phoned you in. So you knew what was going on. You knew what was happening. Cut the bullshit. Um, That's the biggest gag to me that she knew. She was well right, aware. Right, right. Um, but, you know, like, like I said, Taylor knew what she was doing. She angled this this uh, letter perfectly to make herself... Because she, she's... My least favorite. She, no, she's actually my second least favorite victim. Chris Brown is my least oh. favorite victim because ooh, that girl. But Taylor's my second favorite, a second least favorite victim because she does such a bad job of it. Like even at the end of the letter, she was like, "What was me? What was me? White man did me wrong. Help me, please." By the way, my album is coming out next month. Like, ma'am, no. If you're gonna be up here complaining about someone owning your masters focus on that don't end it with a by the way y'all my album is coming out like this to me just reeked of of uh, you know needing of sympathy and i just i don't have any to give her because realistically listen new york always has five things to say didn't nobody ring the alarm i've been through this too long (laughs) (laughs) um but like realistically like at the end of the day taylor what are any of us gonna do to assist you nothing Oh, she's back. Y'all excuse the sirens. (laughs) But like, listen, y'all know I live in New York. It is what it is. But like, what are we supposed to do? Like, I can't. Do we write a letter? Are we supposed to boycott? Are we supposed to march on Washington so you can get your master's back? (sighs) I don't know what she wants us to do, but I do know this much. Um, In business, whenever you are buying a company, you have to contact whoever owns the capital and that is the shareholders the shareholders are the people that keep the company afloat those are the people that actually spend their money to invest within a company and you can't make any moves like this without contacting the board her father is on the board at the end of the day it's bullshit um you're not going to tell me that um taylor swift's dad does not have her best interest at heart at the end of the day and is not you know, telling her what's going on. And so Taylor Swift, girl, we don't have time for white tears. Goodbye. Bye. Um, <laughs> someone who has absolutely no time for any of that because he's filled with other, you know, obligations is Lil Nas X. Um, Mr. Mr. Um, Old Town Road. Road has been having quite the phenomenal uh, year, especially this past month. He performed at the BET Awards. Um, his single, his album, his debut album, just came out. And much like the album, Lil Nas X has come out of the closet. He ended uh, Pride Month with two tweets, uh, very millennial. <laughs> of well, actually, he might be Generation X because he's a little young. Um, essentially, with him coming out of the closet, the first tweet, I'm not gonna lie, didn't really get it. It's um. It's a video for a song on his album called Closure. The song doesn't sound that um, good. I'm just being honest. But the video, it didn't allude too much. I'm not going to lie. I watched the video and I didn't really get it. 
And then I think he realized that a lot of people didn't really get it. So he followed it up with a tweet that said, you know, some of y'all aren't going to fuck with me. Some of y'all already knew. Um, and some of y'all might not, you know, listen to my shit anymore. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm proud of myself. And he ended that with a rainbow, um, a rainbow and, you know, the hard eye emojis. So, you know, I'm very proud. Uh, proud of Lil Nas X for coming out being a queer black male artist is something that is still very in my personal opinion um I'm sorry y'all this damn siren is throwing me off <laughs> it's so fucking loud is uh just dope to see because we haven't really had we don't really have many and and we have Frank Ocean but he lives in like a mysterious um you know behind the scenes you don't really see him much he's still elu- very elusive kind of like me um, so it's, it's, it's nice that Lil Nas X is, is out and proud and, you know, not afraid to let everyone know that he's a part of the community. Absolutely. I agree. I'm proud of Lil, Lil Next Oz. Let me tell you something. Lil Next Oz? <laughs> I mean, Lil, Lil Nas, Lil Nas, uh, Lil Nas X. And this is to all of our straight listeners, gay listeners. Tell your friends and your family to get the fuck off of that guy's dick. Leave him Please. the fuck alone. Please. Leave him alone. If it does not apply, then let it fly. It's that simple. If you're not queer, if you're not gay, if you're not bi, and someone is, why do you feel the need to go on that page and harass them? Like, get some fucking, get a life. Right. Find something phone better a, to do with your time. Something. I mean, damn, get a business, suck a dick. In the words of T.S. <laughs> Madison, like... In the words of T.S. Madison, get a job. Get <laughs> a, a job, start suck a, a business, <laughs> suck a dick. Like, for real, it, 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 it's really pathetic that I see so much it hate is. on this man's page. Like, and the thing is, people will go on their search engine, type in his name, then go speak hate. Like, whoa, you have nothing better to do. I see. Okay. And also something that's strange, y- y'all that are immediately wanting the dick, calm down. Oh my god, he's like nineteen. Some of y'all, I've seen, I've seen a few thirty plus year olds, and I'm talking thirty seven and up, making comments about, oh, he's mine. I'm claiming him. Like y'all, stop. Bitch, come on. Not every, not everything is about dick. Like, get out of here. How about just being proud of a young man for being bold enough? to accept himself publicly in front of the world. Like, can y'all start there, please? Bam. Please. Bam. And and like we posted on Instagram, it's really funny how no one sexualized, I'm gonna take my horse on that old town road, I'm gonna ride, <laughs> ride till I can't, I can't no, more, no more until he came out as gay. Like, fuck y'all. And now all of a sudden y'all talking about something, oh, I'm trying to ride till I can't no more. Girl. Oh, gosh. Bye. Log on, chat. Bye. <laughs> Bye. With that being said, we hope you all have enjoyed this week's episode. As always, if you would like to get in contact with us, um, you can email us. You can email me at Vaughn at Growing Up Gay. Um, and email me Malik at yes. Malik at Growing Up Gay. I think I just cut Vaughn off. That's M A L I K at Because I was going to specify Growing has no G, so it's G R O W I N up gay at 
you know, so that's Vaughn at GrownUpGay.com, Malik at GrownUpGay.com, or GrownUpGay at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow the show at GrownUpGay underscore. You can follow Malik at Yo Malik, and you can follow myself at underscore Vaughn. Um, you can follow Malik on Instagram at... Follow me on Instagram at Malik Khalid Yoga. That's M-A-L-I-K-K-H-A-L-I-D Yoga. Follow me on Twitter at Yo Malik. I already said that, ho. What you doing? Ooh, what shit. What you doing? Yeah. You supposed I to heard, say follow Vaughn on Instagram at Vonagram. Fo- follow Vaughn on Instagram at Vonagram. <laughs> Although he don't post, it's coming soon. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me tell you something about Vaughn. Vaughn is on Instagram, y'all. So don't think he's not on there. He's on there looking <laughs> and lurking. Okay. I, I am from time to time. From time to time. <laughs> I am. But anyway, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you guys leave us a review. If you have any questions, um, preguntas, please be sure right to, in. to reach out to us. You can DM us if you want to. Just slide, slide till you can't no more. Um, and let us know what's up. And in you know the meantime, in the between time, we'll see y'all later. Holla. Peace.